It's Sunday the 15th of May, and welcome to The Wind Down, a recap of the week's news produced by Swinburne University's The Standard. I'm your host, Angus Delaney. Among today's headlines, Hong Kong has a new leader and the official celebrations kick off for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. We also speak with Associate Professor Stephen Moore from La Trobe about how Australia's democracy stacks up against four key measures. Plus, we hear your thoughts on whether or not minimum wage should increase with inflation. And now for the week's headlines. Victoria is set to ban the public display of the Nazi swastika, with penalties up to one year imprisonment and a $22,000 fine. Under the Summary Offences Amendment, it is a criminal offence to intentionally show the symbol of the Nazi party, also known as the Hulk and Cruz, in public. It does not apply to the online displays of the symbol, as the state government lacks the jurisdiction to regulate the online world. The ban also does not apply to Buddhist, Hindu or Jain displays of the swastika, which is a symbol of peace and good fortune. On Monday, early voting opened throughout Australia, and the Trobe's Professor Stephen Morey speaks with us about how Australia's electoral system measures up against four key points. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for joining me on The Wind Down. And you've just written an article that went out on the conversation about Australia's uh, democratic election system. Obviously, we live in a democratic society and we can vote for our leaders, but it's always a work in progress and you've kind of measured up how we do against four key indicators. What were the four indicators just to get us started? Okay, so David, the question about access to voting for everyone of voting age, I didn't discuss what voting age should be, that's possibly another question, ensuring that if you have a party that gets the most votes, gets a majority of votes, that they actually win a majority in the parliament. In other words, that the parliament represents what the voters believe, but also a parliament that represents all the different diverse opinions in the community as much as possible. And finally, upholding an equal value for each individual vote. So just starting with your first point, how did you assess Australia's, Australia in giving access to voting? Well, I think Australia does very well in this. Now, partly it's because Australia has what we call compulsory voting, although strictly speaking, what's compulsory is to enrol and to turn up to cast a vote when you are enrolled. Nobody's actually forcing people to fill in the ballot paper, but, um, but we call it compulsory voting for short. And as a result of that, governments over many years have realized that they have to make it as easy as possible for as many people as possible to cast their vote. Otherwise, you're placing an unreasonable requirement on voters. Now, because Australia is one of the few countries that has compulsory voting, it's hard really to come up with a set of criteria that would um, allow us to measure this. But do we make it easy for people to enrol? Yes. Um, although the enrolment date, the cutoff for enrolment for this election was about a month ago, and some would say, well, why can't you continue to allow people to enrol right up to election day? Do we make it easy for people to to cast their vote, yes, because you have before the day voting, you have postal voting, you have um, um, absent voting if you're in a different area on the day. There's really a lot of effort made to make it easy for people to vote. If we compare this with some of what's been going on in the United States, where it seems that some parties at some points are actually trying to make it harder for people to vote, here in Australia, the, the emphasis is, is on making it possible. So I think we do pretty well there. 
And you gave it a 4.5 stars out of five. So that is quite strong. Yeah. Yes, it is. But I, I think that we should consider extending the enrollment time because what happens is a lot of people, there's, for example, um, people aged 18, just turned 18, a bare majority of those were enrolled to vote a few days before the enrollment closed. But certainly a large portion of 18-year-olds didn't get round to getting themselves enrolled. And some of them will probably by now start to start to think about the election and wish to have a vote, but they can't. So, you know, you might be able to improve that by making it easier for everyone to enrol right up to the time of election day. In some countries, you can turn up on election day and say, I'm not enrolled, but I want to be. You have to go through various processes to get enrolled, but then you, you, you can do and you can cast your vote. And I, I can back that up anecdotally. I was just turning 18 for last federal election and I, I probably about a month before I was 18, I hadn't enrolled. And then by the, time, by the time it came around where I was interested, it was a bit too late. So definitely I think if you, if you fix that up, it can probably be bumped up to a five. Yeah. And, and just going on to your second point, you're talking about a government by majority. How does Australia yes. do overall in this, you reckon? Well, okay, so for our federal government and most of the state governments are decided by single member um, electoral districts using preferential voting. Now, single member districts can lead to distorted results. So in Australia's history, the most famous distortion was 1954, when the Labor Party won really a comfortable majority of the vote, 53% uh, or something like that, but did not win the election because they had very high numbers of votes in, in the electorates that they won, but all of the close results were won by the, the Liberal Party and the then Country Party. But actually in the history of Australia, when there have been close elections, it is usually the party that has the majority of the votes after preferences that wins. And certainly every election this century, the government has been formed by the party that won a majority of the votes after all the preferences are taken into account. So I think we do pretty well there. Um, and there have in the past been in some of the states, for example, in Queensland and earlier in South Australia, there was what, what some people call a gerrymander, but I think more correctly would call malapportionment, which meant that the electorates in the rural areas, which were strong for the government, were much smaller in size, and consequently more members were getting elected for the same number of votes. But overall, um, Australia is doing pretty well, but the single member system can never guarantee that a majority of votes leads to a majority in parliament because of this possible skewing that can occur when large numbers of people in um, certain areas vote for one party and they have a majority in the whole country, but they still don't win a majority of seats. I hope I've explained that okay. What about when we get a majority, we, we have a government in the lower house and then the Senate makes it really difficult for bills to be passed. Is that also something that might be considered for this? Well, okay, so um, in my lifetime, it did happen sometimes that um, governments won a majority, that one party won an, abs uh, an actual majority of votes, that is over 50%. The last time this happened in Australia was 1975, which is quite a long time ago. 
Although in 1983, as I said in the article, Bob Hawke came very close to bringing the Labor Party to 50%, but not quite. So what has happened in recent years is that more and more people are voting for smaller parties. Now, what our system allows at the moment, and we can debate whether this is the best thing, but a lower house of the parliament, the House of Representatives, where the largest proportion of members are from the two main parties because they're elected by single member districts. And in most of those districts, one or other of the major parties will win. Although historically over the last say 20 years, the number of third party or independents winning those seats is increasing. And many people are predicting it will increase again this time. And that, but the Senate being elected by proportional representation gives representation to those smaller parties. So one party that does not do very well in the lower house, despite having 10% of the people voting for it is the Australian Greens, but they get many more members in the Senate because they get that support because it's elected by proportion. So um, it might be fairer, and I rather think it would be if the lower house was also elected by proportion, but that would mean you no longer, or you much less likely would have the so-called majority government. But the point is, if the voters are not voting by majority for one party, is it right that that party is governing? So in Canada and the UK, for example, you have parties, well, in Canada, the government party has less than a third of the vote. In the UK, the government party had a little over 40% last time, but less than that in the three previous elections. And they are the, the government making all the decisions effectively, but with a long way short of majority. At least in Australia, we know people have the opportunity to express preferences and a majority can be. We can test whether the majority that, we, we can test whether the party preferred by the majority is the party that wins government. And so far we've seen in Australia, our system stacks up pretty well in terms of in terms of access and in terms of making sure that a majority of votes does form the government. But how about in terms of representation in our parliamentary systems or in, or in our government? Yeah, so this is really complicated because every state is different and the Commonwealth is different again. So if you look at um, the current situation in the Commonwealth Parliament, we have, um, Obviously, in the, in the Senate, we have lots of members of the Labor Party and the Liberal Party and the National Party and the Greens, as I mentioned before. But you do also have some people representing smaller groups. So there's Senator Jackie Lambie. There's One Nation with a couple of senators in Queensland. And I think the other smaller party is the, um, the Nick Xenophon group that won some senators two elections ago. Uh, so in the Senate, and they do also have a say in, um, in legislation, you have a reasonable amount of uh, representation by non-major parties. But that being said, um, as far as I remember, uh, in New South Wales, in Western Australia, um, yes, in New South Wales, in Western Australia and Victoria, there are currently no senators who belong to parties other than Labor, Liberal, National and Greens, although there is an independent in Victoria. So uh, there's a lot of people, 
that are not being represented by someone that they would like to have voted for. So in the Senate, um, because we are electing six senators in each state, and to get elected to the Senate, you need a little over one seventh of the vote. What that means is that roughly six sevenths of people are elected by, are represented in the Senate by someone they either voted for or gave a pretty high preference to. But in the House of Representatives, somewhere between 45 and 50, close to 50% of people are represented by someone that they actually put quite low on their preference. In, in other words, their preferences did not go towards electing someone. And so it seems to me that a proportional system where more people are represented by someone they either voted for or gave a high preference to is going to mean that more people feel satisfied with representation. It's worth pointing out at this stage that in Tasmania, which has used a proportional system to elect its parliament, its lower house, the house of government, since 1907, there are not so many of these smaller parties. Um, people are not turning to the smaller parties because they can also choose not only which party they vote for, but which individual within the party. That's a complex argument to go into, but um, look, we're still, we're still doing, compared to many parts of the world, we're doing well, but we could do better. And your fourth point and the final point was, uh, how does Australia do with having equal and not wasted votes? How do you think we go there? Well, okay, so there's two, two separate issues here, equality and what we call wasted votes. So the constitution specifies two things. It specifies that um, there must be at least five MPs in each state for the lower house. And it also specifies that the number of senators for each state has to be the same. And the two territories have many fewer senators than the states. Now, what this means in terms of equality is that the electorates for the lower house in Tasmania are smaller than the average on the mainland, not enormously smaller, but they are smaller. And certainly a vote in Tasmania, you, you need fewer votes to elect a senator in Tasmania than you do in New South Wales. It's a ratio of roughly one to 13. So on the, when you first look at that, you would say, well, that is not equal. Okay, now it's specified in the constitution and it's very unlikely the population would ever change it. And nobody's asked them in the last 120 years. But, um, but what it does mean is that the states are not exactly the same. Now, this only becomes a major issue if some of the states, particularly if the smaller states are tending to elect a different set of members from the larger states. So if, for example, the smaller states, so South Australia, Western Australia, Tasmania, were all significantly more conservative than the bigger states, then you might more likely have a conservative majority in the upper house, even though the majority of people didn't want it. But in reality in Australia, that isn't really what happens. So at times, those states have been more conservative, but at other times they haven't. So, um, so in, in practice, the Senate is, fairly, is certainly more representative of the diversity of votes than the House of Representatives. But it isn't exactly one vote, one value. The point about wasted votes is, so I'm defining here a wasted vote as somebody who 
fills in all their preferences, and as far as their preferences extend, it doesn't elect anybody. Now, for anyone listening to your um, uh, to your podcast that hasn't done their voting yet, even if you follow one or other of the parties and want to follow their recommendations, their so-called how to vote cards um, for the lower house, try and number as many squares in the Senate ballot paper as you can, because the more squares you number, the more likely your vote is to actually count. And so, um, and if there's a party that you really don't want elected to the Senate, then make sure you've put a number in front of any party that could conceivably be in competition for that position. Uh, an example of this would be in Queensland. Um, so if you really don't want to see One Nation elected, then you need to make sure that you preference all the parties that might get elected for the what is probably going to be the last out of six positions. So you might want to put Labor or Liberal or National or Green or whatever, and you might have some other parties you want to preference, and then you might you might want to preference um, Clive Palmer's UAP or the Liberal Democrats because they are probably competing for that last position with One Nation. To leave that to leave them all blank, tempting though it might be for some voters, means that your vote won't count as much as it as it could. But it is also a question then of ranking all the candidates according to what you believe. And I think one thing that probably many Australians agree on, they may not agree on who they want to vote for or who is best, but they probably do agree that there's an awful lot of candidates, especially in the Senate, that they don't want to see win. But you have to make a decision about where to put them. So in terms of wasted votes, so for example, if in... Um, if you voted in the Senate for six minor parties, I'm thinking just, I'm assuming that none of these parties will get near winning a Senate seat, but if you voted for animal justice, um, you know, legalised marijuana, um, uh, Darren Hinch's Justice Party, um, the Informed Medical Options Party, uh, the Victorian Socialists and... Um, you're supposed to do six, what's another party? Um, I think there's something called the Great Australian Party. And if you just voted one, two, three, four, five, six for those four, six, and left your vote at that point, it's almost certainly going to be wasted because none of those parties will get counted. But if you had then put either Labor or Liberal or Green at number seven, your, your vote might have helped. So part of the issue here is that it's quite hard to explain to people the, how to do this, and it does require a bit of thought. And a lot of people want to do this easily and quickly. And so, you know, countries like Britain, where for the House of Commons, you just put X in one box, it's easy to do the voting, but then you end up with large numbers of people dissatisfied with the result. If we take a little bit more time over considering how to vote, use our preferences, and also a little bit more time, and a little bit more time to count it, we might get a result that makes more people happy. And if we're going to have government for another three years, it's best if most people are satisfied with the result. I just have one yep. more question for you, Stephen. Yep. Um, you wrote this incredibly intelligent and insightful article in the conversation, but you were actually uh, a senior in linguistics. How did you get this interest in politics? Well, look, um, 
I've been interested in politics for as long as I can remember, but I have been lucky enough to come in contact with people who were involved in the Proportional Representation Society of Australia. It's a bit of a mouthpiece, um, an organisation that's been advocating for proportional electoral systems. And we've made progress in most parts of Australia in my lifetime, um, not because of our organisation necessarily, although in some cases it has been. Um, and I've learned a lot about how electoral systems work. One place that has an electoral system which is very similar to Tasmania is Northern Ireland. They had an election just a week ago and, you know, you have a, a, a large range of parties. But the thing, the reason why they have that system in Northern Ireland is they want to make sure that all the different views there are represented in Parliament because the history of Northern Ireland was when that wasn't the case, then people started fighting each other. So. Um, I think that, um, so that's my reason for this. And as a result of this, I mean, I've appeared before state and national parliamentary committees, um, looking into electoral systems, given evidence and so on. Uh, and yes, if you, you know, study these things long enough, you do acquire a little bit of expertise. Um, and if I was young enough to have a second career, maybe I would would look into doing this academically, but, but no. Well, thank you very much, Stephen, for your time and thank thanks you. for joining us on The Wind Down. Thank you. And now back to our headlines. Liberal MP Fiona Martin has been accused by her Labour rival Sally Situ as either intentionally misleading the public or confusing her with another Asian Australian political aspirant. During a debate on Sydney's 2GB radio, Martin, who was fighting to hold onto the seat of Reid, suggested Situ was run out of contending for the seat of Fowler by Labor's Christina Keneally. But in actuality, the Labor frontbencher in Fowler was too late, a woman of Vietnamese heritage. I chose to live in this electorate because I love the community. Because you found son. an opportunity and you couldn't run in Fowler. Christina Keneally kicked you out of Fowler too. Now she's just making things up. I mean, that's how ridiculous this debate has gotten. After the debate, Situ said, my opponent has either confused me for a different Asian Australian or she's deliberately misleading the public. Either way, she should apologise. Martin has refused to apologise, saying Situ and Labor are playing cheap political games. John Lee has been appointed as Hong Kong's new leader after a closed vote where he ran unopposed. Lee is known to be a big supporter of Beijing. And the movie is seen as China looking to increase its control of Hong Kong. The 64-year-old spent more than three decades in the police force before he was appointed to Undersecretary of Hong Kong Security Bureau in 2012. During the high-profile protests in Hong Kong in 2019 and 20, Lee compared the resistors to terrorists and helped coordinate the police use of rubber bullets and tear gas. Lee will replace current leader Carrie Lam on July 1st. This week on campus, Aditi took to the halls of Swinburne University to ask students what they thought about raising the minimum wage in line with inflation. Uh, yes, I think we should. I guess a lot of casual workers in... Um... I guess a lot of people who are getting minimum wage are casual workers and they're the ones that need it most, usually juggling a lot of jobs um, and to be honest, usually picking up a lot of slack in my experience from the casual jobs that I have and have had um, and usually that is not reflected in my pay so it would be nice to have the minimum wage, so the bare minimum of what you're getting paid actually reflect the work that we do. I'd love for the minimum wage to be raised, however the only issue is I don't know where the money would be coming from. 
Well, that's a hard question because I live off minimum wage and I get a fair deal, but apparently some people don't. So maybe uh, the minimum wage should be matched, not so much uh, more properly regulated than it is raised. I think the minimum wage should be raised for certain jobs and um, depending on what the person's occupation is, it should be raised. Former Australian cricket star Andrew Simons has died in a single vehicle car crash in North Queensland, according to police. The former test cricketer all-rounder was killed in the accident on Saturday night outside Townsville, where he lived in retirement. Simons played 26 tests for Australia and won two Cricket World Cups. Simons' death is another blow to the cricketing world, who lost Shane Warne, Rod Marsh and Dean Jones this year. A Barbie doll of the Queen reportedly sold out in just three seconds. Listed at £95, Scalp was already relisting the item for twice its original price on eBay. The doll is in recognition of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, with official, with official celebrations starting on the weekend, including a baking contest with over 5,000 entries for the Queen's official pudding. Today's episode of The Wind Down was written, hosted and edited by Angus Delaney. It was produced by Aditi Kuti and Angus Delaney. Album artwork is by Emily Lee. You can find us on Instagram at Swinburne Journalism or The Wind Down Swinburne, Twitter at Swin Journalism or on our website, theswinstandard.net.